Well, this morning we're to be in Acts chapter 20. And uh, before we get there, I want to say thank you to all of you. You guys know I've been around here a long time. I grew up here. You know, we have a lot of kids. We have seven kids. And and a lot of you ask about my family all the time. So I want to show you a picture. These are my people. This is what we do. We live in... Sometimes it's organized chaos. Most of the time it's just chaos. And uh, if it wasn't for my wife, we'd all be dead. And uh, that's honest to God truth. Um, So this is who we are. This is the Marshalls. And this is what we're all about. So thank you for being so kind to always ask about us and all that good stuff. Well, this morning, Acts chapter 20, turn in your Bibles there. And we're going to kind of move quickly through the front half of this chapter. I want to be able to get to a section where Paul is giving a farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus. As you're kind of moving through this, if you have, uh, are the type of person when you get bored in church and you go look at the maps, I know who you are, okay? I've seen you, all right? You're going to love this because you can go back and follow where you've been bored before. You can go, okay, Paul went here again, and he went here again. He's stopping, and he's going to these different uh, churches that he's been to. He's visiting with friends, and he's encouraging them because what Paul is trying to do is get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. His desire is to take a give an offering to them. His desire is to be with them. His desire is to worship with these believers who've been under massive persecution in Jerusalem, and his goal is to get there. And so he's making his way through the Mediterranean Sea by these different ports, and he stops along the way at different places to encourage the believers. And the first place that we see him is in Troas. He stops in Troas, and it says, that he has a layover there for a week and he's going to spend time with the believers and there's this interesting caveat that Luke gives us of him preaching. It says that he was preaching for a long time. He prolonged his sermon until midnight and he's preaching till midnight. Now, if you've ever been to a midnight service somewhere, God bless you and for keeping you awake, but there's a man named Eutychus and, and his name means lucky and He's up in this room and it's late at night and there's candles and it's barely able to stay awake and he falls asleep in the window. And have you ever fallen asleep in church before? Be honest. I grew up in a Baptist church and you'd have to go to church twice in the Baptist church. And if you were in the six o'clock service as a kid, all you wanted was America's Funniest Home Videos and for one of your friends to invite you over for monkey bread. All right, and if you're from the Midwest and you know monkey bread, you know that is an incredible treat. All right, Google it. It's wonderful. It's not creepy or exotic, okay? And, and when kids would fall asleep in the Baptist church with these nice wooden pews, it was like a wooden xylophone just thunking all over, all right? The other one that's always incredible to watch is the, the wives with sharp elbows, okay? Because men are not immune to falling asleep in church, and they get a little one of these, right? And they get a little squirmy. Well, Eutychus falls asleep, and he falls out of the window, three stories, and falls dead. And Paul goes down and gets him, and he says, he's not dead. He is alive. His life is still in him. Doesn't say what Paul does after that, other than he goes back in the house, goes upstairs, they get a bite to eat, and he keeps preaching. That's some serious preaching, Paul. Like, settle down, man. We got it. You're going to send us books later, okay? It's cool. Let's talk about what's happening in the world. And so there's this short story of just Paul's care for people and his love to spend time with him. And that's ultimately what you're going to see this morning as we get into Acts 20. One of the things I know that none of you would dispute is Paul loved the church. 
Paul absolutely loved the church. He loved the local church. He cared desperately for its health and for its security. Paul was the type of man who was no quit. He was a go-getter. We see in 2 Corinthians how he talks about his own suffering as he cares about the church, about being stoned and left for dead, about being given 40 lashes multiple times and whipped and shipwrecked. And we know, we look at the word and we go, Paul desperately cared about the church. We see how in different sections of scripture, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verses 1 through 5, he says things like this. And when I came to you, brothers, did not, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 2. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles, but we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you have become very dear to us. Paul desperately wants these churches to grow. It's evident by the fact that every place he went, he didn't take everybody who was converted with him. He said, you stay here, you impact your culture, you impact your community, you change your neighborhood, you change the markets where you work. Andy Stanley has this line where he says this, there is no greater investment in your life outside your family than the local church. There is no greater investment in your life outside your family than the local church. I am a product of the local church. I am the product of people's investment in my life. I am not here today without men and women praying for me, caring for me, raising me up, calling me to a standard of living that follows after Jesus Christ. And many of you are exactly the same way. The investment that people have made in the local church to reach you, to care for you. Paul was desperately desirous that these churches would be taken care of. And what we're going to see here as he talks to these elders from Ephesus is his final call to, guys, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Why don't you follow along with me? Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What's happening here is Paul is making this farewell tour. He passes by Ephesus by boat. He stops in Miletus. Most all, like, like uh, historians think that it was so he didn't have to go to Ephesus and get stuck. 
Not that it would be stuck saying bye to all of these people who cared about him. He wants to get to Jerusalem, and by going over there, he's going to be met with all of these people who care for him. He's spent almost three years in Ephesus ministering and growing that church. So he goes on, and he calls the Ephesian elders to come and meet him there, knowing that he has final words for them. I don't know if you've ever been asked to come to someone's deathbed and for them to share final words with you, but that isn't a powerful moment. We know this isn't Paul's deathbed because there's eight more chapters still to go in Acts. But he says, and what you'll see here is, I won't ever see you guys again. I can't imagine what's going through the mind of these elders as they're traveling together. Hey, what do you think Paul's going to tell us? What does he have to say to us? What, what does he want us to know? I, I, what is this all about? And they get there and he says to them, guys, you know who I was when I was with you. Guys, you don't have to question why I came to you. It wasn't for my own gain. It wasn't about me. It was about you. And it was about the gospel. It was about the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul comes to these people, and what you'll see at the end is that there's massive amounts of emotion. As he's sharing these truths to people he loved dearly how he wanted them to live and what they should do. Follow with me here. Verse 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, paying careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In verse 35, in all things I have shown you by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. These are Paul's last words to this group of Ephesian elders. Now we're sitting in here and you're going, well, I'm not an elder, Justin, and that's not going to be my task. What I want to tell you is that one, the elders of Redemption Church at Gilbert and at large take seriously what Paul says about taking care of the flock. We take seriously what it says about our job to look over the sheep that God has brought into our midst. 
This is not lost on us. This isn't something that these men take lightly. This is a reality that we live with, praying for you, longing to see you grow, wanting to see God do incredible things in your life. And yes, this is Paul's words to these elders, but I think for us this morning, I was trying to look and go, what is the connection in other ways? Here it is. Every single one of us, whether we want to believe it or not, have a flock. Whether you're an RC leader, you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a parent, if you're a spouse, if you're a friend of other believers, I want to encourage you as you hear this to take heed of your role in loving and caring for one another. Number one, Paul says, it's going to be tough because people are going to come in and they're going to mess with you. They're going to try and teach you bad things. They're going to try and even come up inside of what's going on and influence you away from the gospel. So Paul says, guys, listen, here's how this is going to happen. Here's what you need to do in order to see the fruit of God in your life. Number one, Paul says, be alert. Be alert. Live as people with your head on a swivel. Think about the things that are happening around you. Second Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says to him in chapter three, be on the lookout in the end of the days because all of this craziness is gonna happen and your people are gonna be gathering for themselves teachers who want to tickle their ears. Be alert. Are you thinking about the things that are coming into your home? Are you thinking the things that come across your airwaves? I started looking at this. What does this mean for me as a dad? Yes, this church matters in the way in which we look at our Sunday school curriculum and the role that I have here and the type of people that we have teaching our classes. But how does this hit home outside of that? I started to ask the question, am I paying attention as a dad, to the books my kids are reading and the TV that they're watching, are they being influenced by outside sources that might draw them away from the things of God? Am I asking the questions about social media use? Where are we spending our time? Am I being alert to all of these things around me? Am I paying attention to the world and the things that it's saying and how it's trying to have an influence on my family on my friends? Am I willing to be alert to stand up and say what is true and not let it just pass by? I got a kid in junior high now. It's really weird to me. Maybe you've gone through this transition yourself at some point of having a child in junior high and the stuff that starts coming home, you're like, one, I don't, I don't even know what's going on in math today, guys. All right, let's We'll just put that out there. But two, the things that my daughter will say, Dad, that doesn't seem to match up with what the Bible says. Let's take time and talk about it. Let's be alert. Let's be situationally aware of the things that are happening around us. Number two, in order to be alert, he says, I commend you to the word of God. You want to stay alert? You want to know what's right? Get in the word of God. Paul says, I did not shrink from teaching you the whole counsel of God. Is the word of God affecting everything you do? When you have questions in your life, is your first to go to Google or to go to Jesus? The word of God speaks to everything. All of life is all for Jesus. If you have issues in your marriage, the Bible talks about it, about parenting, finances, friendship, politics. What does the Bible teach me and how is it influencing my life? Because Paul says that it will build you up. 
It will not tear you down. It will build you up and lead you to inheritance, to sanctification that we would look more like Christ. Number three, Paul says, don't covet. You know how my hands didn't go after anyone else's silver or gold or apparels. I really feel like he's saying that because the trappings of this world look so pretty. That they draw us away from the thing that God's given us to do to shepherd his people, to keep our eyes on our flock, to look intently into his word. Yes, we can have things, but our things are ultimate. Number four, Paul says, stay busy. You know how it works. And there's two things here. I know when I'm not busy, I start thinking about all the things I shouldn't. I know when I'm not busy, I start trying to be busy about other people's business and that calls me a busybody. If we're not, there's enough in our own lives to take care of to be worried about being busy about other people's lives. Stay focused on the task at hand. Paul's not saying don't confront your brother. He's not saying don't go to your brother. Don't protect your brother. He's saying don't be a busybody about those things. Number five, he says I worked hard and I cared for others. Our work isn't just for us. Our work is that we would be blessed to be a blessing, that be able to give out of our time, energy, effort, our money, to be able to give ourselves away. It is the investment in the local church. Think about all the places that God could use us in and outside of this place when we decide that we're gonna work hard and care for others. So how do we do all this? Right? Yes, the word, and yes, being alert. What does Paul say here? I think we can pull it away from three different things. How do we live in this way? Number one, look at verse 19 in chapter 20. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Serving the Lord with all humility and tears. You want to be a good uh, watcher of the flock that God has given you, your spouse, your children, your friends, your RC, the people around you that you love and do not want to see pulled away into things that will harm them. You live in humility in the way that you serve and you care for them. We live in humility. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The reality is, is the world around us is always throwing out this idea of humility. If you go to business seminars, you're gonna be the best leader if you're humble. If you listen to Kendrick Lamar, he wants you to be humble. But Jesus says true humility is found in service. It's giving yourself away to a purpose that is greater than you. Not yourselves, but to others. We live humble. I was like, okay. Paul says, I came in humility. Look at verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value nor precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's saying, listen, my life is of no value unless I finish what God has given me. If we're gonna be the type of people who look out for one another and we live in humble ways before one another, then we're gonna have to look at our lives and say, it's about you, not me. 
I'm not going to ask you how I can serve you the way I want to serve you. I'm going to ask you how I can serve you that would most benefit you. I'm not going to look at my value and what I have. I'm going to look at how I can give it and how I can serve. Look at verse 35. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. You know that's true. You know what it feels like to care for someone in need and not get anything in return, to bless outside of yourself. I mean, that's the whole call of God gathering as a people. If you go back to Genesis 12 and when he's talking to Abraham, says, you are blessed to be a blessing and it will go for a long time. That's the same role of the church, to be blessed to be a blessing. And if you're looking in the gospels for this place where Jesus said that, you won't find it. But what you'll find is when John says at the end of his gospel that all of the words of our Lord could not be contained in all the volumes in this world. But Jesus still calls us to give of ourselves. I mean, if you think back to the beginning of Acts in chapter 7 and chapter 9, and we see this Saul breathing threats against the church, trying to eradicate this Christian movement. And now you come to chapter 20 and in tears, in tears he is speaking about how to protect it. It should blow your mind on what God can do in the life of a man. It should blow your mind when you think about the way in which he loved these people and he loved the church how he loved the truth of the gospel that radically made him a new man. That he couldn't help but go everywhere and encounter as many sufferings and things the world would throw at him and never quit. And here he is putting everything in order because he knows what's going to come. He knows death is coming. People have been trying to get him for a long time. Jim Elliott, famous missionary, wrote this. When it comes time to die... Make sure all you have to do is die. I don't think Paul wanted to live with any regrets of what he didn't say. I think he wanted to be the type of man who made sure everybody knew what needed to be taken care of in order for God's church to continue to grow, continue to be who God wanted it to be. It's through humble people, humbly caring for one another's, and lovingly coming alongside of each other and protecting one another so that what we have here, people see and go, I can't wait to be a part of it. I don't know all of what you guys have, but the way you care for each other and you look out for each other and you love each other and you point each other to repentance, I need that. I need people like that. Let's be that church. Let's pray. God, we need your help in all things. We need Jesus, the forefront of our mind, reminding us of what he said, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. God, I thank you that we can look out for one another. We can protect each other. God, I, I pray that as the elders of Redemption Gilbert, God, you'd give us, God, eyes to see how we would care for this flock. God, as our, your people, I pray that you would allow us to love one another in a way, God, that shows all humility. God, we thank you for the ways that you move us and you take us to things we didn't even know were possible, but then you use us and we get to see your firsthand glory in our lives. 
We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.